0: Alrighty there, folks, and welcome to the Chronicle Podcast channel once again. And this is going to be part two of my discussion with Mark from the Warlords of History podcast, and we're going to be discussing the Warlord Tao Tao. Now, you may have noticed that whenever Mark and I are talking at the same time, within, like, when when we were speaking, like, live to each other, there is a bit of an echo from... What Mark is saying. Now that is not Mark's fault, that is mine. And what I foolishly did was I didn't plug my headphones into my laptop, therefore the microphone that I was using, which was a Bluetooth one, was picking up all of the conversation from my side as well as Mark's. So um, in order to try and keep it, you know, seem a little bit more authentic and like without, you know, too much of a harsh cut in, I tried my best to align the conversation is the best i could but then of course because it's an echo that my microphone was picking up it does put everything out of sync so yeah apologies for that uh, there isn't much i can do about that now unless of course mark and i have the two and a half hour discussion again which to be honest <laughs> i mean as much as it was fun i don't think it's wise to do that you know we learn from our mistakes so i know next time to use headphones <laughs> um So yeah, this is going to be part two. And just before we get into it, I do want to recommend Mark's podcast. I cannot recommend it enough. Um, It's really good. And what I really like about it is that Mark tries his best to tell a narrative story about the different warlords and stuff that we come across through history. And of course, he covers a variety of different warlords. Uh, His most recent one, of course, was Philip II of Macedon. And um, it's a really good show. So I do recommend that you go and check it out, Um, but for now, on with the show. Yeah. Alright, perfect.
1: Okay,
0: so. Yeah, where were we again? <laughs> I forgot where we, weren't we?
1: Uh, so we we uh, we we just finished with "I'd rather do wrong to the world than allow the world." So this is right before he starts building his own army in
0: 190. Uh right. Okay. Yeah. So like after like so, what happened after the Yellow Turban Rebellion? Like in a nutshell, was Dong Zhuo usurped power within the imperial court, and then a coalition is led by Yuan Shao to try and defeat Dong Zhuo. But the problem was everyone who was involved in the coalition you had like Tao Tao, Yuan Shao and his half brother Yuan Shu amongst others, people like Gong Sun Zan and things. All of them were scheming against mm-hmm. each other. So they were all rivals for power and all of them knew that they were. So they all joined the coalition just to try and, you know, Try and get that little bit of extra territory for themselves. They did. They didn't really care about the fact that Dong Zhuo had usurped power. Like nobody really cared about that. And then it became evident when everyone's like backstabbing each other and nobody's even like fighting or anything. And like it was just almost like a standoff. So on the east side of like Luoyang, you had like the coalition forces like basically standing there, and then. On the other side was Dong Zhuo and his adopted son, Lu Bu, who we can get to later on, but uh, we'll stick to Tao Tao for now. And um, the only battle that I actually seen was the battle of Hulal Pass. And it's only one of these warlords within the coalition who actually fought Dong Zhuo's forces. Like, the rest of them just sat around doing nothing. So, like, when he was requesting help, all of them ignored him rather than, you know, helping their friend, so to speak. So as um And then, mm-hmm. like, shortly after that, Tao Tao just decided to leave. He just said, nah, this coalition's a waste of time. So then he just left. And then it is here... Because, like, I mean, the thing is, it didn't really matter because, like, a couple of years later, Dong Zhuo got killed by his own subordinates anyway. Now, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, it does talk about how one of the ministers presented his daughter to Dong Joa, and then he presented his daughter to his favourite general, Lu Bu, and then made them fight over her. But, I mean, again, it's all romance. It didn't happen. or It's mostly fictional, as far as we know. And uh, because Dong Zhuo died, um, what happened after was there was a power struggle within the imperial court And then this is when the emperor fled and he then ran into the hands Mm -hmm. of Tao Tao. And then this is when Tao Tao really begins to build his power. And it's through diplomacy rather than military conquest at this stage. It's all using imperial edicts under the emperor's name to bring all these warlords to heel. And then it does come to a head when Yuan Shao's brother Yuan Shu declares himself emperor uh, out of the blue. Like, this was, like, because it was, like, totally out of the blue just because nobody was expecting anybody to really, you know, like, declare their own dynasty yet. Like, everyone knew the Han dynasty was going to fall, but they were all still fighting in the name of the Han. So to, yeah. for somebody just to come out and say, oh, by the way, I'm emperor now, like, every like he was like public enemy number one. And of course, Tao Tao being, you know, the defender, so to speak, of the Han, couldn't tolerate that. So then he launched this brutal invasion against Yuan Shu and, um, like... There's a couple of stories that I'll get into uh, in a minute, but I just like, I go, like this just kind of like highlights Tao Tao's character, like his ruthlessness, so to speak, like yeah. because as soon as Yuan Shu declared himself emperor, Tao Tao moved his army so quickly into Yuan Shu's territory. And then this is where, you know, the phrase come from, like, speak of Tao Tao
1: and <laughs> he'll arrive. <laughs> um Oh no, I was just gonna mention because you you had mentioned about about his ruthlessness and and even in the years leading up to before he he took possession of the emperor, I think it was in the early one nineties as his father uh cao song was killed and um and and this was i think uh, i am not exactly sure who but th- this was, as you mentioned this is a chaotic time. there's all these warlords fighting amongst each other, and it was getting really really insanely crazy busy and just all kinds of different factions coming into the fold. And this is one that I think really crystallized the fact that Cao Cao was, he he could be abjectly, like just really, really ruthless and cruel. Like when he went into, um, in retribution to kind of, in retribution of his father's murder, uh, he went into, I think it was uh, Chu province. And he, it was insane. Like he, he butchered so many people. There was one quote that I remember reading that um, the brutal was so the, the slaughter was so brutal and so extensive that corpses stopped the sea river. And I thought that was just, that was just an unreal, um, unreal reaction. And, and I mean, probably one of the few times that he acted out of, passion right typically it was a very calculated approach but he certainly displayed that a strong ruthless streak there um but then you know i thought i thought it was interesting that when um that other warlord he really took that taboo step of of proclaiming himself as emperor that's where you start to see another iteration of tao Cao, uh really acting in in that kind of law-abiding manner like doing so on the behalf of the han but 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 completely going in and uh, you know unwilling to to even entertain such a notion because it was so taboo you said everyone was like everyone was a warlord and everyone had their little region who had the gall to <laughs> proclaim themselves of uh, as emperor right like i mean yeah he was he and he took it upon himself to go and address that right away right
0: yeah, yeah, basically. But yeah, like going back to like the death of his father, so um what happened was his father was like travelling from one province through Shu Province to see Tao Tao in Yan Province. Like that was that was the whole purpose of the journey. Now the warlord well he wasn't even a warlord, he was more like a governor, like he was still like a subject of the imperial court. He didn't want anything to do with the squabbling of the warlords, so to speak. Uh, his name was Tao Qian Now, the thing is, to try and please Tal Tao, he got one of his greatest generals to escort his father to, like, one border to the other in order to, like, make sure his passage was safe. But the problem was that this general in particular, used to be a yellow turban. So then what happened was, along the way, he just decided, why not just kill Tao Song, when like Tao Tao's dad, and then take all of his money and then we'll become bandits. And um, yeah. that's what they did. So like him and his subordinates killed Tao Tao's dad and then that was it. So it was a huge miscalculation on that warlord who was trying to please Tao Tao. And, like, it it backfired completely. Um, But one thing that should be noted is that Tao Tao used this as an excuse. Like, he did say, oh, yeah, it's, like, for my dad and things, but that was only to give him legitimacy to invade. Uh, Just because Shu provinces uh, gave them, uh, like, uh, gave Tao Tao access to, like, the central plains where Yuan Shu was later on. So by invading um this with this ruthless invasion like it did give him access to more areas of land without having to try and navigate the yellow river and things so um as much as it was like because i mean like you said it was oh it was relentless and it was horrible like i read um a story where even the farm animals were Mm -hmm. killed and everything he ordered everything to be killed just like for retribution of his father, and it was, yeah, it was just crazy. Um, so, yeah, just like again, it just goes to show his like ruthless side. And, like, he, I think it was passion, but as well as that, it was a calculated approach. Like, he, he, there was a reason behind him saying, Oh, yeah, kill everything and like try and like please my father's soul in heaven and all these things. Like, there was definitely. A calculated approach to it as well.
1: It's really interesting uh, that you mentioned that because I know typically, like he, he was a type of leader that understood the importance of food and 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 um, I, I know that he even later on he resettles people onto um, available plots of land to ensure that not only the the, the people have um, means through which to feed themselves, but also to help supply the army as well. But Wow. He, he, he really went hard on, on that one. If, if he was like, I mean, not only people, but, uh, animals and crops and yeah, that, that was on a scale unparalleled. I, I don't think that, um, he went to that scorched earth policy in any other territory as hard as he went there. Yeah, that, yeah, he didn't like
0: everywhere else. Cause I think it was after this, the land that he settled Got hit from a plague of uh, locusts and things, so then that's when like he realised the importance of food and tried to like get as much crops in as possible and help feed the people within his region and things, and um, yeah, so like we'll get we'll get to that now just because when he's on this campaign against Yuan Shu when he declared himself emperor, uh, Taotao did give orders to his men, like when they were on the road, and he told them, if you disturb any crop, one single crop, you'll be executed. And uh, like always, I applied to everyone, so generals, foot soldiers, cavalry, even himself. And um, whilst on the road, Tao Tao's horse for whatever reason like when i was dragging his chariot completely freaked out and then ran onto the field and then this is when Taltal said to his scribe like okay what's the punishment uh and then obviously his scribe's like freaking out because he's thinking do i say what the punishment is or <laughs> <laughs> like i want to keep my head so i don't really know what to say here And then this is when was like, no, I wrote the law, so tell me what it says. And then he goes, okay, well, the the sentence is death. So then this is when Talta says, okay, how are you going to carry out my sentence? And then this is when all of the generals and all the foot soldiers, they're all pleading for his life. It's all a big scene. It's always big drama when it comes to these things. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) Like, he goes, and then this is when Taltal says, Well, how could I expect my men to obey my laws when I don't obey my own laws? And it's one of his advisors, Xun Yu, who I mentioned earlier. He's the one who says, Well, you know, you've been given this uh, edict by the emperor to take care of you and Shu. So, how are you going to do that if you kill yourself now? <laughs> and then that's is when Taltal goes, Right, okay then. So, in order to appease everyone, he then cuts off his hair. And, um, like, he gets all of like he gets one of his uh, cavalry commanders to, like, parade his hair around all of the men and say, oh, Tal Tal, he broke the law, but because of this edict, he's cut off his own hair. And, like, in the West, we would be thinking, well, that's not a big deal. He only cut off his hair. But um, in China, it was a huge deal. Like, you're not supposed to, like, cut your hair or cut your fingernails or anything. It's more about keeping what your ancestors gave to you. So, like, it was, like, a nice little morale booster for his men, so to speak, when he was, like, going into battle.
1: Isn't that amazing? It's, this goes back to that whole PR spin that a leader has to have as well. Like, obviously, again, fulfilling the actions and, and... and these, these really prominent objectives that, that one has. But underneath of that, is there, they're also in some sense a bit of a performance artist as well, helping to, you know, trying to enforce their own... Le- oh, yeah. Stand for. I mean, what better way than... And, and this must have been kind of prefabricated in terms of how it was applied to a certain degree, right? Like, I mean, uh, but but what better way to crystallize your or or to enforce this notion of you being totally subject to the law uh, no different than anyone else really right um and and it just makes him seem like more of a of part of it versus versus being something superior to the law and as soon as you start doing that that that's setting the tone for exactly what you want your your rule to look like because by by all accounts as soon as he took possession of the emperor in 196, um, certainly not in name, but in every other fashion, he was he was it. But beyond that point, like th- I mean that that was that was the point, right? Like that was the groundbreaking point. As soon as he took possession of Emperor Qian, then that's it. He he was the man, right? He gained so much legitimacy towards his actions, right? Wasn't he? I think some of his titles included like minister of works um a general in chief and i think that was the top one right general in chief of the of the imperial army
0: yeah well like the thing is what's surprising is that when dong jo took the emperor into his hands he named himself chancellor straight away so like, he's in charge of like the finances and things as one of the top positions whereas Tao, Tao didn't he just said, "Oh yeah, just move the imperial court into my capital, and I'll protect right. you." <laughs> They're just like, "Yeah, I'll protect you. Don't worry." And then, like, it became very clear that Tal was like usurping all the power, and he was basically emperor and yeah. everything but name. So, like, it's like even in like yep. this, the books and things. Like, I'll, I'll go back to like the romance, but like. There's a time where one of his advisors goes, oh, there's a there's an emergency. And then he just goes, oh, just write an edict. As if he's the emperor. But of course, he needs the emperor's stamp to say it was the emperor. So just one of those things. <laughs> just like, yeah, I'm saving oh, yeah. you. I'm saving the hand. But really, he was just like laying the groundwork for his own dynasty in the future. <laughs> 100%.
1: Oh, I, I, definitely, definitely. Like, I mean, there, there was, there's no question that as soon as, you know, as soon as the emperor went to his base of power, uh, where he was stationed, his headquarters. That's it. He, he had everything, and and the, the kind of the, the. I guess the negative impact of that is it started creating enemies for him as well. Like, especially in. Like I mean, everything was a mess. Like let, we we know that for sure. Versus what what you set out from before, which I can agree with more. But I think within the north, that really created. As soon as that happened, as soon as he took possession of the emperor, um, another really powerful warlord. In fact, his his childhood friend Yuan Shao. Right. I think that's the Yuan Shao. As soon as that happened, he was he was also one of the. Few remaining really powerful warlords at that point, and that that's that that's pretty much set them into a collision course, right? For who was going to hold ultimate control over northern China?
0: Yeah, I mean, like the thing is, when the emperor fled and he was going, like he was traveling back to Luoyang, um, everyone expected Yuan Shao to. Rescue the emperor, but it was Tao Tao because, like, because like Yuan Shao was actually closer, but it was Tao Tao who, like, ran all the way to and get and the end. emperor. Sorry. And um, as soon as Tao Tao got the emperor, he then sent an edict to all of the surrounding warlords, and Yuan Shao was one of them, and then, of course. Yuan Shao's advisors were like, "Ah, oh, you should have got the emperor, because <laughs> then you could have been doing this, yeah. you know." <laughs> so then, this oh, is, oh, it yeah. just oh. creates this better rivalry between the two of them. Going, "Ah, oh, we should have did that."
1: <laughs> no, you're right, but the, like, I mean, what what another perfect example of Cao Cao's strategic vision, right? He saw that opportunity. He saw it before. He saw it before any other prominent warlords, and he jumped on it tenaciously. I mean, that, again, of all so far of the warlords that I've really gone into, those that do that effectively, though, it's not just about luck, right? Um, what's that other saying that, you know, you, you make your own luck sometimes, or at least the iteration of it in this case would be you see an opportunity and you be the first person at the gates to take advantage of it. Because as soon as you start doing that um, and, and you're able to do that more aggressively than others surrounding you, you're starting to see that separation right you're starting to see versus this this whole world of all these warlords and then uh Tao starts climbing the rungs um steadily but surely again despite some setbacks but he's he he doesn't stop climbing those rungs, yeah
0: yeah one hundred percent and then of course this is when like Yuan Shao's brother Yuan Shu, like declares himself emperor and things and then mm-hmm. Again, like, because Tal Tal has the Emperor, like, any action that he pursues militarily is backed by the Imperial Court, So, like, he's legitimate for everything that he does now. So, like, it doesn't matter. Like, he could say, Yuan Shell's a usurper, which he does later on, or he says he's an enemy. And, like, all the other warlords who are, you know, fighting in the name of the Han, they have to agree with him otherwise they'll be they'll be like painted with the same brush so um it was
1: just
0: like and you're right yeah it's just
1: like an amazing on you go on you go oh no 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 sorry it's just so it's so funny as just as a side it's awesome how engaged i am this is like awesome man i love it um so so yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right on that, and and once he does gain that le- legitimacy, I know for the next couple of years he really goes on quite the tear in terms of military incursions, um, because I mean right now he's completely justified with that authority and even all those titles that he gains, uh, and he goes on pretty aggressively over the next couple of years, expanding all the territories under his thumb. Right, of course, you know. Sl- trying to do so on b- behalf of the Han, but clearly under his own power.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's amazing because, like, as soon as he gets the Emperor, his terror because like, he's only in one province at this stage, but then after that, like, because he's, he's defeated Yellow Turbans, like, in his area and things, uh, but rather than, like, killing them all, which a lot of other warlords would have done, he recruited them. So like he rather than like saying, Oh yeah, I'm going to like murder all of you and like there's stories where some warlords buried the yellow turbans alive and everything Whereas he didn't do that, he went, Okay, you've got a choice. Either you join me or you farm which is quite <laughs> quite spectacular. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these people they just went, Okay, we'll join your we'll join the army. And uh, that, like that, increased his army size. And as well as that, he managed to train them into like elite units as well. So like he gained a lot from doing this. And then, of course, he's doing this in the name of the emperor. And then it just be- it just becomes a matter of time before he expands, which is what happens. So he does it through diplomacy. Yeah. Um, and there's also stories where he will issue Imperial edicts to, like, two warlords, and then he'll tell both of the warlords that they're trying to attack each other, or they're going to attack each other. And then... So then he makes them to fight each other, and then after their forces are depleted, he'll move in and take over and things. It's just like, that's genius. (laughs)
1: Like, I would never have thought of that. Uh, No, so... I have to say here here's another uncanny Philip comparison. So so Philip of Macedon, he became a master of pitting enemies against one another or or yeah, some of his adversaries against one another. Just clearly calling out objectives. Um so so that is that is just another similarity. But I can't believe we're, we're stumbling upon even more at this point, but you mentioned how Tutsai would incorporate some of the units and and um conquered peoples and military units into his own army, which is obviously a brilliant strategy because he's, he's quickly increasing his power on um, much quicker at a much quicker rate than others are doing. Uh, Philip would do something very, very similar, where um, upon conquering a new territory, in fact, one of his first incursions was into another tribal territory called Paeonia, and they had these light infantry um, military units called Peltists, and They were kind of like these javelin-throwing guys that were very lightly armored. They could go and um, quickly scurry in front of heavily armored hoplite warriors and pelt them with javelins and then run away because the hoplites would never be able to catch up to them. And Philip saw this in one of his kind of first um, incursions to strengthen Macedon. And right away, he saw this as an opportunity. He goes, wow, there's a great specialized type of unit. And he shortly thereafter incorporated peltists into his army as well. And I mean, and he did that everywhere he went when he went to Thessaly, he took their, Th- their Thessalian light cavalry and he incorporated that into his army. And he was constantly seeing this vigilant thing, like wherever someone can get an edge, very similar to Cao Cao incorporating all these um, new units into his army as well.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, like later on as well, Tal Tal would uh, bring in the Xiongnu from, like, Mongolia into uh, China just because of their, like, military might and because they were the best cavalry around. Um, even after the Hand had defeated them, like, hundreds of years before, they were still, like, the best cavalry unit. And, um, yeah, Tao Tao did bring them in, but it did come back to haunt like, the Tao Wei dynasty later on, because all these nomadic people, when they're... Because, like, the Chinese were trying to, like, assimilate them into their own culture, whereas these people just thought, I've got a taste of power now, and I'm going to usurp it, and then that's what happened. And, yeah, like, like centuries of chaos followed after that, just because of, like, this Tao Tao trying to incorporate these, like, elite units into his army but i mean that's way into the future um so yeah like after this incident where you know like the pr stunt that tal had he actually came up with another one like the the thing is i think this is more mm-hmm. how would i describe it it's more fictional like nobody really knows if it's true but I do want to bring it in just because, uh, you know, like, again, it just kind of brings the character to life, so to speak. So during uh, the final siege against Yuan Shu, Tao Tao's army was running out of supplies. And he knew this was a real problem because the defenders were holding out quite well and, you know, He needed to storm the castle pretty quickly. Well, not the castle, the city, but anyway. So (laughs) he um, came up with this brilliant, brutal plan where, um, you know, he would tell the, the man in charge of the grain supply to cut the grain supply. The thing is, like, he'd already cut the grain supply by half and he said, you need to half it again because we need to last for another, like, seven days. So then the guy's like, Well, there'll be a revolt. And then this is when Taltal Tal says, Well, I'm trusting you to handle it. So then the guy's like, Okay. So he did his duty, he cut the, the grain supply by half. And then within a couple of days, of course, all the soldiers are rioting because, like, you know, they're all starving basically. Oh and then this is when. Tal Tal brings in the grain supply get like the, the manager again so to speak and then he says okay I need to borrow something from you and then the the, the man says what do you need to borrow? and he says your head wow. so then of course the guy's like freaking out he's like oh no please spare me spare me and then he says I'm innocent and then this is when Tal Tal says I know you're innocent so what are you going to do? and then <laughs> he gets dragged off and executed <laughs> And then this is when, um, the like, um, Tal-Tal makes a speech to his soldiers saying, Oh, by the way, the reason why your grain is so low is because this guy was stealing. <laughs> Have a massive feast tonight, and then tomorrow you'll storm the castle. And then that's what happened. Like, the morale was at its highest, they were all their bellies were full, and the, the troops stormed the, the city and won. Was like, that's insane.
1: That is absolutely insane what was the backdrop was this during like uh what battle was this during kind of near guandu like when when did this happen
0: so it was just before guandu so this is when Taotao Tao was fighting yuan Shao's brother yuan shu so this was like his wow. final stronghold in runan province and uh like Taotao's supplies were running quite low so he came up with this strategy so to speak to like get the men like on board with them kind of it was just it's crazy
1: and i i thought your earlier story was an example of good performance artist artistry this is a next level thing like this is wow talk about talk about creating things for impact that would that would certainly do so that the motivation that that he kind of instilled in his troops and really at the cost I mean, it's still sad for that guy, but for for the cost of one person's life to create this entire this raring army ready to go to storm castles, that is wow, amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, like again, if you're going to go from the novel, like the Tal does say, well, let's be honest, my family background's better than yours, and I'll take care of your wife and yeah. kids. And then that's that's his last words to him before he gets executed. And like that's pretty harsh. <laughs> it's like nah, not nah, only no, are you getting killed, but <laughs> you're like I'm better than you. <laughs> just like that is
1: wow. That is brutal. That's amazing. I, I honestly I had never heard about that story. That is uh, wow. That's a great one.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, to be honest, it's fictional, but like I had to pull it out. I just say, like, oh, I w- that's too good not
1: to include. Are you kidding me? That's amazing.
0: <laughs> like, I like, as weird in a sick, twisted way. I kind of hope it's true. I'm like, <laughs> not for like, obviously I'm not for that poor soul who died. But I know.
1: Like, I kind of was. I know. It's so. It's funny when I'm going through my stories, and and we were talking about this earlier on, right? Sometimes it's really hard to separate fact from fiction, and you also have to consider the agenda. The agenda of the who is writing the historical account or whatever story, because there's always a reason, right? They're always trying to either either prop up the person or or chop them down and, and somehow cast a negative light on them, right? So it speaks to our notion, like uh, what you were mentioning before. It's our job to try to kind of cut through this and figure it out. But sometimes when you hear a story that fits so well, man, you want it to be true. <laughs> I completely understand. I completely understand that. Wow.
0: Okay there, folks. And there you have it. So that concludes part two of the discussion Mark and I had about uh, the warlord Tal-Tal. And we will conclude this discussion next week. And then, of course, after that, uh, you'll just be hearing my voice again. You're not going to be hearing anybody else. And what I'm going to be doing as I'm going to be discussing the Three Kingdoms period. Now, I was hoping to try and, you know, break this down, just one one episode for the Three Kingdoms, but it seems like it's it's almost too difficult to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the foundation of each separate kingdom and then talk about the kingdoms themselves. So... It's weird because I'm going to start off with Tao Wei <laughs> and we've just I've spent three episodes uh like three weeks almost talking about Tao Tao. But he was the first one to form one of the three kingdoms basically. So like without talking too much about Tao Tao himself, we'll talk about Tao Wei and, like, how it was established. And then we'll move on to uh, Dong Wu, which is uh, the Sun family in the southeast. And then the final of the three kingdoms was Shu Han, founded by Liu Bei. So, what I'll do is I'll have an episode discussing how these kingdoms came into being, and it kind of follows the chronological order, so to speak, because whilst Tao Tao is establishing himself in the north, the Sun family have managed to establish themselves in the southeast, and Liu Bei is still, like, Trying to find a foothold somewhere. And then, of course, later on, this is when Liu Bei does find his foothold in the southwest. So I think that's the best way to go about it. And then, of course, once all three of these kingdoms have been established, I'll then talk about the Three Kingdoms period itself. And what I'll probably do is include the short-lived Jin dynasty that follows, just because the Three Kingdoms period doesn't last long. Like, it really doesn't. And the Jin dynasty that follows afterwards doesn't last long either. So we can fit both of these dynasties into the one episode. And then from there, I'll then tackle the mess that is the Northern and Southern Dynasties era, which, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) And then, of course, we'll then go back to like reunification and stuff now we are almost at the end of this like very long period of division and warfare and stuff and then there is these times of more stability so to speak we're almost there so just bear with all this warfare and stuff and then we could focus more on a long period of prosperity so to speak but yeah Uh, That's the schedule for the next few weeks, so I hope you stay tuned for that, and I'll see you next time on the Chronicler Podcast channel. Thanks for listening.